Uh, would you please stand for the readings of God's Word? Jonah's chapter 4. But Jonah was, was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, Take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in his shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow, to, grow up to Jonah's to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it is withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about the vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hands from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? That is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Precious Father, thank you again for the word of God, which again is truth. And Lord, as we prepare to listen to what it is that you have to say to us from your word, I pray the anointing of your spirit over this service and over your servant, asking that God, you would take what it is that you would have for us today and you would make it so easy to understand. Lord, many of us, English is our second or third language. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, as our teacher, that you would enable us to understand what it is that the Father is saying to our hearts. Come and be glorified and praised in this time. We ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we close out this series on Jonah, we, uh, we come to chapter 4, and chapter 4 opens with what, what should be perceived as, as, as a great event. What, what, what has happened in chapter 3 is that Jonah has gone out and he's preached the message. And we talked about this last week. I mean, what was missing from the message? Everything. I mean, there was no, thus saith the Lord in that message. There was no, why were they being judged? How could they, uh, how could they prevent this judgment from happening? There was none of that. There was no love in it. There was no compassion in it. Jonah had just spent time in the belly of a great fish where he had repented of his sins and gotten right with God. But he, he, he shows up. He shows up in Nineveh. He said what God told him to say, but that's where it left. There's a lack of compassion, there's a lack of care, there's a lack of concern on his part for the city of Nineveh. And in spite of that, in spite of Jonah's message, in spite of the way in which Jonah presented the message, what happens? The city turns in mass and repents of their sin. At this point, we should see Jonah dancing for joy. But chapter 4 begins in a rather ominous note. It says here that, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. 
Literally, Jonah burned with anger. There's an interesting thing that's going on in the Hebrew. I'm going to geek you here for just a second. The word evil, it, it keeps showing up. It keeps showing up in the text. Whereas it was Nineveh's evil. Their evil has come up before me. Now that, that word evil is used with talking about Jonah, about his anger. His anger was evil before the Lord. And Jonah burned with anger. And, and he was greatly displeased. Why was he displeased? He was displeased. He says in verse 2, I prayed, I prayed to the Lord. This is the second time we find Jonah praying. The last time he's praying, he's in the belly of the fish. But he prayed and he said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? Obviously there had been a conversation between Jonah and God, and Jonah said, Wasn't this what I said when I, when I was at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. Compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knew all of this. He knew all of these things about God, yet he says, that's why I was going in the opposite direction. What's going on in Jonah's heart? Does Jonah have any love for the people of, <clears throat> excuse me, for the people of Nineveh? <clears throat> no, he does not. Jonah doesn't have, any, doesn't have much, if any, love for the people of Nineveh. He's been called to go there, and when God called him, what did he do? He tried to run away, and yet God wanted him there. And this book, this book of Jonah, is not so much about the, about the prophecy, but it's looking at the prophet. And Jonah here, he's displeased, he's greatly displeased, because God didn't keep his word, God didn't send the calamity, God didn't send judgment upon them. And he says, I know this about you. He says, I know that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending, sending, sending calamity. What is he repeating there? He's repeating what God said about himself when in the book of Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. Moses had said, Lord, show me your glory. And God said, you can't see my face, but he said, I will pass in front of you. And he said, I will allow my glory to pass in front of you. And this is what he says. And as he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. What Jonah is, is saying is that I know all this about you. And Jonah in his heart, he wanted, slide two, he wanted all the goodness of God, but he didn't want God to give that to his enemies. He wanted all of the goodness and all of the things that, that God had for him, but he didn't want it for his enemies. And he says, he's so angry, he says, now take away my life, verse 3, now take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. There's almost a point when I'm reading this, it's like, God, just do it. This guy is asking in chapter 4, he's asking to die, it's like, I've had it. And yet, God is patient with, even with Jonah. Because here's the thing, here's the thing. Wherever God has you, that is a divinely placed that is a divine place that God has you. He has divinely and sovereignly chose you to, and chose to put you in that place. When God calls Jonah, there were two other prophets in Israel at the same time, Hosea and Amos. He could have called either one of those to do the same thing. But God had something in mind to do through Jonah and in Jonah. There are things that are going on in Jonah's heart that he's a prophet of God, but things that didn't please God. One of them is Jonah's anger. 
And he says, I'm so angry. He said, I, I, I just want to die. Jonah says, in effect, he said, I cannot live in a world where you show grace and mercy to people who don't deserve it. I remember uh, many years ago, probably seven, eight years ago now, maybe less than that, it was a Friday, and we were, Beck and I were on our day off, and I received a phone call from my secretary at the church, and she said, this man has been trying to get a hold of you. Well, this man, I had seen him at church a few times. He would come in at Christmas, he would come in at Easter, but his name was Ed Schultz. Uh, if you're not from America, that name doesn't mean much to you. But in America, Ed Schultz was a he was a um, he held the eight o'clock news slot on MSNBC. In America, that's the very liberal, very very liberal um, side of the news. And what what happened was Ed was a Ed was the eight o'clock um, eight o'clock news anchor on MSNBC, and all week he lived in New York City. But on the weekends, he would fly home. He had, a, he had a home in Detroit Lakes where we pastored. And he would fly home on Friday afternoon and come to Detroit Lakes. And if it was summer, he would fly home to Detroit Lakes, get on another plane and fly to Canada where he had a lodge in Canada. And he would stay there throughout the weekend. And then come Monday, he would fly back out down to the States and fly back to New York City. But there were times where he would come to our church. And somebody said to me one Sunday, hey, do you know, do you know that, who that guy is? I said, I don't have a clue. They said, it's Ed Schultz. I still don't have a clue. I don't watch MSNBC. We didn't have TV. And so I said, I don't know who this guy is. And they said, well, he's probably one of the most liberal people in the United States. And so I got this call from Ed Schultz on this Friday. And he said, uh, can you come over to my house? My wife has just been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So I didn't know anything about Ed. So I went online. I Googled his name. Ha <laughs> ha. Wow. Did I, was I ever in for a surprise when I Googled his name? The comments. Ed Schultz is a blank, 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 blank. Ed Schultz, I hope you rot in hell. Those comments were coming. The last one were coming from Christians. It's like, what? And when Ed, when we started to get to know Ed, I went down with them to Rochester to Mayo Clinic and uh, spent some time with he and Wendy and really got to know him. And then he would invite us to come up to his lodge in Canada and go fishing. So we really got to know him and got to see his heart. And yes, he was liberal, but he had a genuine love for the Lord, and his wife deeply loved the Lord. But I remember one time when he came to church, and somebody pulled me aside and said, what's he doing in church? And I think, what's the problem with him being in church? And sometimes we look at God and we say, God, how could you? How could you be kind and compassionate to those people? And you can imagine in your mind some of the people in this world who are just despicable, just cruel and heartless in the things that they do. And in Jonah's mind, he could not live in a world where the same God who extended mercy and grace to him was the God who extended mercy and grace to those who didn't deserve it. The grace, the unconditional grace of God it pursues us, doesn't it? Do, we, do, do any of us ever deserve the grace of God? Okay, let me say that a little louder. Do any of us deserve the grace of God? No, we don't. The very fact that you are at a place where you're at, the very fact that you are a Christian, is because God was pursuing you to have a relationship with you a love relationship with you. God was the one who came to you. God was the one who opened your heart to understand the Scriptures. Even the faith it took for you to receive Christ 
is a gift from God. The, un, the unconditional, the unmerited grace of God that he shows toward us. And not just towards us, but towards all people. And Jonah struggled with that. And sometimes, if we're, not, if, if we're honest, we can struggle with that too. And God confronts him. This is so huge. God confronts him and he says, Do you have any right to be angry? And Jonah never answers the question. But you know, that same question was one that God asked of another person. All the way back in the book of Genesis, God comes and he confronts Cain. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. And he says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Remember the whole story with Cain and Abel? Cain's sacrifice was not received. Abel's was. And Cain Cain was obviously angry about it. And he says, but if you do... He says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That word desires, that's found just a chapter over when God is giving, when when Adam and Eve fall, and God says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. It was not a sexual desire. It is a desire to master over. And here he says, Sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you. Anger is one of those root sins in our lives. That's why God says in his word, he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and therefore give a foothold to the devil. I'm not saying what I'm going to say next as as we're perfect and and look at us. When Becca and I were married some 30, almost 35 years ago now, we stood before the people in that little church in Mason City, Iowa, and we committed that we would not go to bed angry. We would not go to bed angry. Boy, there have been some long nights as, as we're waiting to, to work things out. But when you allow anger to fester, when you allow that to fester in, in your heart, it doesn't go away. Anger is a root sin. By that we mean it just goes to something else. I like to do cooking, and you can, when you um, cook down like stock or anything else, you put a lot of water in there, and you just put the burner on real low, and you just cook it and cook it and cook it. And it starts out with this much water in the pan, and it ends up with this much more. It's condensed. And that's what happens with anger. The longer that you allow it to fester, the longer it goes, or the more it has a tendency to go from anger to bitterness. And you see where Jonah is at at this. Jonah was angry. And Jonah says, in effect, God, what you did was wrong. (laughs) I almost want to step back and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Is what God does wrong? Does God have any right, every right, to show compassion and mercy to whom he will? He says that in his word, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. And and Jonah doesn't answer the question. Jonah goes out to wait. And it says in in verse 5, it says, Jonah went, outside, went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in, it, sat in its shade, and waited to see what, God, what would happen to the city. There are commentators that believe at this, at this point that what Jonah said, I, I'm so angry, he said, I want, I want to die. That Jonah's giving God an ultimatum. Either you do what it is that you said you were going to do, or you kill me. Says, Lord, and I'm going to go up here and I'm going to wait for you to do one of the two. And Jonah waits up there. You know, one of the things in Scripture in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's talking about what love is. And one of those things that love is, is it says, love does not delight in evil. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Love doesn't look forward to seeing somebody get hurt. And Jonah, in many ways, he was greatly displeased with God. And he didn't love the people of Nineveh. And he thought, this is what they deserve. After all, they were Israel's enemy. And he's waiting. And in in the time of waiting, God provided. God provided. That word comes up five times. And it says, God provided. In verse 6, it says, Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. The English tones that down. Uh, it, it is, he, literally, he was, he was exceedingly joyful with great joy is what it would be. You know where the next time we find that similar phrase, almost verbatim, but in the Greek, you know where we find that the next time? When the Magi come and they bring their gifts before Jesus. When they see the star, it says they were exceedingly joyful with great joy. What was, what was Jonah happy about? He's happy about the shade. It's probably a squash or a, a gourd vine. When we were in California, we raised chickens, and it was very, very hot there, and we would grow squash, and we would cause the vines to go up over the top so it would give some shade to the chickens. And this is similar here. There's, God caused this, this vine to grow up. It's probably a squash. And Jonah, this is, the first, this is the first time we find him happy about anything. He should be just jumping for joy at seeing this many people come to Christ. Friday had an opportunity to be with the CIAS, um, the camp, at the, their final day. And to see kids coming up and wanting to not, not only dedicate themselves to the Lord, but wanting to pray, to pray to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And one of the teachers stood next to me, just weeping, with, weeping with tears, because he was so overjoyed to see the response of what these kids were doing. That should have been Jonah's response, but it wasn't. What is he joyful about? He's joyful about this vine. Now watch this, though. In all of these things, God is using them as an object lesson for Jonah. Watch to see the things that God is doing in your life. God has a purpose for those things that he's doing in and through your life. And so Jonah... Jonah's happy about the the vine, but it says the very next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When I was a kid, we we grew a lot of pumpkins, a lot of squash, uh, and so they'd roam all over the garden and had big leaves on them. But every once in a while, you would go out and you would see the vines, and they were all wilted. And you thought, "Uh uh-oh, this is called a vine borer. It gets into the vine. It's a little worm that goes in, into the vine, it chews its way into the vine, usually right where it comes out of the ground. And it goes into the vine, and what we'd have to do is we'd have to split the vine open and look, and sure enough, there'd be big grubs inside of the vine, and you'd pull those out of, the, out of there and kind of put the, the vine back together, hoping, hoping that that vine would be able to recover. But most of the time, it never recovered. The damage was irreparable. And I wonder if that isn't what's going on here. And watch Jonah's reaction now. It says, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. Probably Scirocco, a Scirocco wind. It's a hot east wind, and it's a wind that, um, as I was studying on this, it's a wind that raises the temperature 16 to 22 degrees. And it said it causes people to be really just on edge, and Jonah is on edge. It says, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed over Jonah's hand, and he grew faint. He wanted to die. (sighs) He wanted to die it would be, and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah, what is going on? You, what are you happy about? And, and here for the second time, God confronts Jonah. 
And he says, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? And he says, I do. I'm angry enough to die. Obviously, Jonah's heart is in a, is in a different place, isn't it? God says to him, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Jonah, you've been more concerned about this vine than about the people down here that I called you to bring the message to. In all of this, Jonah, and all the way through this, this last chapter, nine times the, the phrase, I or me, comes up in there. Nine times. Who is Jonah concerned about? He's concerned about himself. And God, as much as he loves us, he will confront us when our concern is all about ourselves. What was Jonah concerned about? His comfort. Did he have any concern about the people of Nineveh? No, he didn't. It shows in what it is that he's angry about. And God says to him, he says, should I not be concerned? Let me get that verse here. He says, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. That's just a way of saying it's a big city with a lot of people. But Nineveh has 120,000 who cannot tell their right from their left. God says in his word, you know, he shows us where, which way to go. He said, do not turn to the right or to the left. These people didn't know. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. And God says to them, uh, and many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about this great city? It's a question that's left hanging out there, and Joe never answers that, that question. But it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. What is it that, that, that drives our heart? What is it that we are concerned about, especially in this day and age? What is it that drives us? What is it that moves us? Is it concern for what's going on in this world, or is it our own creature comforts? This week, Tuesday, <laughs> because Hong Hong is closed, I have to go. Um, I have to do the green route, but so it's the green route to. Uh, what a trip! So I got to Kowloon. Number one, I was a little bit, uh, you know, the scripture for that day, we're doing First Corinthians at home, and Becca has this all over the place, and it was, love is patient. Uh, did, I, did I need patience? The, the, the minibus driver takes the long route, the route through traffic, and I'm like, it is the, the heaviest time of the day. Normally, you go the, the opposite way. And, but no, he went through that. It took us a half an hour to get to just where, just the Satin. And so we, we got there, and then we went on the train and got to Kowloon Tong, and it was like, oh, my word. As soon as you get down the escalator and into the main hall, it was just this. It, it, that, that's all that it was. An hour and, 40, an hour and 30 minutes to get from, the, from where you get down at the escalator to where you get on the train. Nine different trains went by before I finally am standing in front of the door, and as soon as the door opens, I, I just feel people pushing me from behind. It's like, yeah, I got on, but again, and you're standing like this. And it's like, ah. I, by the time I got to church, I was so frustrated. It's like, ah. and then God hits you with this. So what are you concerned about, Joel? Are you concerned about your creaturely comforts? Did you see all those people in, in the MTR station? How many of those people, if they were to die, would go into a Christless eternity? Joel, what are you concerned about? Are you concerned about what? What I'm concerned about? In Jonah's heart, Jonah wasn't concerned. And God asks him that question, shouldn't I be concerned? Absolutely, you should be concerned, and we're glad that he is concerned. But do we struggle with God extending grace and mercy? 
to people who we feel don't deserve it? Are there those people that God is calling you to extend grace and mercy towards? He says in Scripture, he says, forgive as in Christ you were forgiven. And we like to read over the top and think, ah, well, that, that's good for somebody else, but they don't know my situation. They don't know how deeply I've been hurt. And, and God does. But God calls us to have a concern in our heart for the people. I think of Hong Kong at this time. A lot of people without hope. A lot of people asking questions. And our hearts, are we concerned about them too? Are we interested in what's going on in their life? Or is it just, i got to get to work this morning. And God says, should I not be concerned? And if God is concerned about it, then we as his church should be concerned about it, shouldn't we? And Jonah never answers the question. We never see anything else about Jonah. But as we finish out this series, as we finish out this series, I really believe that what God would be calling us as a church toward is, are we concerned? Are there those people that we need to be be concerned about? Are there those situations, those relationships that we need to work on mending, showing compassion, showing concern, showing grace and mercy out of what God has done for us? Are there those people that we need to do that for? Because I don't think that God just meant for AIC to be a church of people who show up on Sunday morning and then leave and go about whatever it is the rest of our week without ever giving God and what he desires another thought until next week Sunday. And so where is your heart this morning? Does your heart beat with a passion for what what God's heart beats for? Is there anger in your heart? Maybe you're angry. Not Maybe you're angry with God because, God, why did you allow this to happen? I, my district superintendent, Tim Owen, when we were in the um, Rocky Mountain District, he would often say, so what are you going to do with that anger? So what are you going to do with that anger? Your anger, what are you, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to use it to go against what God wants? Or are you going to bring it to God? Is it wrong to say things against God? Is it wrong to be angry with God and to say things? That's a, a very fine line. I think we can speak to God and be angry about things, but I think it is more important that we respect God for who he is. I've heard people say that when I get to heaven, I'm going to give God a piece of my mind. I don't think you are. I don't think you are. But as we live here, is there anger that's crept into our heart that we need to deal with, that we need to give back to the Lord? It's not wrong to be angry about righteous things, to have a righteous indignation. But it is wrong for that anger to consume us and to cause us to do things as a result of that anger that don't glorify God. Is there forgiveness that we need to extend? God extended grace. God extended mercy. Is there forgiveness that we need to extend? If God were to ask us that question, what are you angry about? How do you answer that question? Because God has a deep concern for the nations. God, that's why he sent Jonah to Nineveh, was because he deeply wanted those people to know him. And it says God is patient. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And as we close out this series... As we close out Missions Week next week, 
God is a God who cares about the nations. God is a God who cares about people who are not like us. God is a God who can, is concerned about people who are even people who we would say are very despicable people. And God calls us as well to pray for the nations. Amen? Let me pray with you. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word this morning. And the truth of your word is that you called Jonah specifically because there were things in Jonah's heart and life that, that didn't please you. And the things that you allowed to come into his life just caused those to come to the surface. I don't know that the anger was the major issue of Jonah's heart, but it was what was manifested. And God, you see what goes on in our hearts. You see how we are either concerned or have a lack of concern. And God, especially towards people who, who we don't like. And in our hearts, we all have those people. Those people that it wouldn't bother us if, if that country or that people just fell off the face of the earth. And Lord, that should never be. And God, in a time like where we're at, especially in Hong Kong, where there's one side pitted against another, you call us to be your people, to have your concern for the city. And I pray, God, again for the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ in this city. Lord, we, we pray for your hope. As we look, as the next series starts up, dealing with hope, your gift Lord, there are people who are hungry to know. People who are hungry to, to know, is there anything more in this world than what, what is here right now? And God, I pray that you'd fill our hearts with a great concern and a deep love for people, especially people who are not like us. And God, give us courage. Fill our mouths with your words and fill our hearts with your love and your compassion and your concern. I pray, Father, that you would go with us as we leave here today. We pray for safety. And we just pray that, God, your, your hand would surround each and every one here. And that, God, the blessing of your hand, the, the grace and the mercy of your hand, would not just be kept for us, but that, Lord, we would share it with those that are around us as well. God, go with us. And I pray that you would be seen in through us. And I ask all this, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, this should be a day of rejoicing. I got you guys out of here about 20 minutes early from what we've been at the last couple weeks. Uh, May the grace and the peace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ be yours. Have an amazing week. Allow Christ to be seen in through you. Ask him to fill your heart with concern and compassion for those of this city. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.